We got, we got a lot of territory to cover in just a few short verses. We're in Philippians chapter 3. If you did not get a handout on the way in and, and, and you want one, raise your hand and we'll get hard copy to you. You can pick up the, the uh, digital copy at our website or on the social links. You can get a PDF copy of the notes. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to review verses 10 through 14, and then Lord willing, we'll look at 15 through 17. Uh, while we're getting our notes sorted out, I want to pray for us. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together. All right? Father, we love you. And God, we need you. Lord, help us to see the truth of your word. We want to hear what your word is saying. And we want to submit to it. And so, God, we need your help. Uh, Lord, I, I know for myself personally, so many times I feel like I'm, I'm a distracted teenager in the faith, you know, and, and uh, you lovingly call my attention back. And, and Lord, we want to be single-minded. And so, Lord, help us to get what your word says this morning. Lord, I pray that today would fall out to, to brothers and sisters purposing, where we need to purpose our hearts uh, to know you and to give our lives to that aim. And so, Father, would you bless our time in your word. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just to review, uh, we covered so much in verses 10 through 14. It's such a big concept. We want to we wanna spend some time reviewing that. In verses 10 through 14, we see Paul's focus, the focus of his life, and it's the prize of the high calling of Christ. That's your first two blanks. Paul wasn't like a lot of Christians today. I love the way Paul rolls. He's not a wimpy Christian. He's all in. He's all out. He's hardcore. Um, he isn't just satisfied with getting to heaven, okay? He wants everything that God wants for him, and he's not going to be satisfied with anything less. He doesn't want to just make it to heaven. He doesn't want to just make the finish line. He wants to be in the winner's circle. So this is what we saw last time, Philippians 3.10, uh, verses 10 and 11, Paul's it's the cry of his heart. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And what we saw last time is Paul's not worrying about his salvation. This is not an expression of doubt, but an expression of determination. He isn't saying he hopes he gets to heaven. He knows he's going to heaven. What he's talking about from verses 11 through 14 is that Knowing Christ, he recognizes knowing Christ will result in a reward for him at the resurrection. In verse 11, he says, I want to attain that I might attain. Verse 12, but I follow after if that I may apprehend. There's something I want to grasp. Verse 13, he says, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. And in verse 14, he says, I press toward. So Paul is desiring to obtain. He wants to grab. He's following after. He's reaching forth unto. He's pressing for one thing, verse 13, but this one thing I do, Paul is mature, and so he's very focused. That's the mark of the mature, their focus. The mark of the immature and ill-focused Christian today is they're involved in so many things, but totally miss the one objective of the Christian life. Super busy, super active, even in church. They're busy, encumbered with many things, and they can never find the time just to know Him, to know Christ. They never find time for verse 10. So you can't count on them. You can't 
You certainly can't follow them. They don't know where they're going, right? They never go the same, they've never in their life gone the same direction for more than four months at a time. Why? Because they're immature. Not Paul. Paul had one objective, one focus, one thing that he's going after. He says, this one thing that I do, right? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And these are all in terms of the focus of the flesh. These are all good things, right? His works, his religion, his ability, his ethnicity, uh, who he was in his family and his skin, his righteous zeal. I'm forgetting all of that. You know, we are so smug. It's kind of how we're hardwired, okay? So think about this for a minute. Um, you are attending Midtown Baptist Temple, and I think this is part of our human nature that, you know, there's a part of us in terms of the flesh. On some level, everyone is probably, on some level, the smartest person that they know. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? And because this is the church that you chose, well, it must be the best church. It must, must be the best church on the planet. Why? Because you picked it and you're kind of the smartest person you know, and by virtue of the fact that you go to MBT, well, it must be the best church. <laughs> I go to MBT. We're the right church. We go to the right church. Andrew Ong and Will Mata are pastors at MBT. Eric Phillips leads the worship. Uh, Jason White is baptizing people. Larry Smith baptizing. It, that, that, it must be a really good church. And by virtue of the fact that I go there, well, I must be doing pretty good. Did you know MBT has planted two churches with two more in the chute? What a great church. There's Bible studies now popping up all over the world. It's a good church. Okay. So before you make that, before you make yourself blessed by association, I got to ask you, just wait one minute. How did God use you to be a part of everything that God did here? How did he use you to be a part of that? You may be saying, well, I wasn't here when all that was going down. Okay, more importantly then, how is God using you right now at MBT? How's he using you in this church right now? See, all those signs of a healthy, word-centered church, those are things that have already happened. And because we did them, you might fall into the trap of thinking that makes us a good church. And by virtue of the fact that you're attending now today a church that did those things, you may be thinking, well, I'm a good Christian. Please, not Paul. Paul never fell for that trap, that way of thinking. Yesterday was yesterday. Paul says, I'm hungry to know him right now. I want to serve him right now. I, I want to follow him today. I've only got today to know him. I've only got today to lay down my life in service to him. So I'm looking for my God to find me serving him when he comes for his church. I don't want God to catch me sitting on my sanctified keister. I don't want him to catch me sitting on my butt assuming he's pleased with me and letting me set the rest of the game out on the bench. Right, you're just, you're with the right church, with the right people, you must be, no, I want in the race. I want to matter in the lives of people. Paul says I'm looking for a better reward. So don't assume that we've accomplished everything that God has planned for us to accomplish at MBT. We've not arrived yet. We've not come to the place where we can just rest on our laurels and just ease into heaven and say, mission accomplished, everything's great. No, that's not it. 
Paul says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm, I'm chasing after a better resurrection. I'm chasing after a right resurrection. Paul is satisfied with nothing less, right, nothing less than knowing he'd be raised to reward. So what about you? Have you ever been reading your Bible and you get to 1 Corinthians 3, and does it make you tremble? Have you ever read 2 Corinthians 5 and just quake when you read it? So what does Paul do? Paul knew all this was coming. He says, I don't want to just get to heaven. I mean, I want to get to heaven. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to just be there taking up real estate. I want reward when I get to heaven. So what does he do? Verse 14, he says, I press. Every day, man, I'm just pushing the envelope. Every day, I want to know Jesus better today than I knew him yesterday. I want to, my desire is to know him more, to follow him. What are you doing, Paul? What are you going to do today? Got to keep pushing. I mean, I just want to press in to knowing Christ. What are you going to do with your life, Paul? I'm pressing. I'm running the race. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm heading for a finish line and the prize, right? I'm, I'm going for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want to just cross the finish line into heaven. He wants the prize. And what's the prize? What is it? What's for following the call of God on his life? To know him more. I mean, what else is there? When a runner is running a race, I mean, you're neck and neck. So it's me and Wilmata. I've been training all week or all year. I've been training. It's the uh, Grayland 5K and, and we're neck and neck. And, and um, you know, I didn't lose my weight. <laughs> but I'm, 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 I want it really bad. But, you know, here's Will. He's, he's younger got a lot of pride on the line. If this old man beats him, how's he ever going to live with himself? How's he going to look himself in the mirror and call himself a man? I mean, how's that going to happen if an old man, gray beard, beats him, beats him across the finish line? And so he's running. And those last 200 yards, he, he knows, right? He knows I'm, I'm right on his neck. Is Will Mata going to waste any time looking back, seeing where I'm at? Not if he's smart, he's going to put everything he has into pressing for that prize, the ability to taunt me for a year, right? That's all he wants. He's going to press for that prize. He's not going to look back. He's not going to waste his time, not if he plans on winning, right? No, he's going to say, eat my dust miles. I'll see your raggedy butt behind me at the finish line. That's, that's how winners think. Well, Paul, it's the same thing, right? He says, no, I'm not going to look at what was behind. No, instead, I'm going to take the reward of knowing Christ. Thank you very much. That's all I want, to know him. I want to live my life in the power of his resurrection. I want to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made conformable to his death. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him better today than I knew him yesterday. Well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to know the power of his resurrection? How am I going to know how to enter into the fellowship of his suffering? How am I going to do that? Where do I start? How do I do? What, how, do I, how do I get conformable to his death? How? First John chapter 2, verse 3 gives us the key. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You want to know if you know God, what he says, his word over your life, Man, that's what you're trusting to be the reality. I know him by obeying his word. You know, don't tell me that you know Jesus, but you won't even read this book. 
Come on. How do you know somebody you never listen to? It's not going to work. I know him by obeying his word. How are you going to know the power? How are you going to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection if you don't know what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23 say? How are you going to know what the power, that resurrection power is in your life? How are you going to know what it means to enter into the fellowship of his suffering, partake with him in his sufferings if you've never read 1 Peter chapter 4? There's no way. How are you going to know what it means to be made conformable to his death if you haven't committed Romans 12, 1 and 2 to your heart? How are you going to do that? You say, well, Miles, you're not, you're not walking through those passages. I just gave you your homework, right? Go home and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he says about knowing him. Entering into service and suffering with him. Here's another concept, knowing Christ. Whenever you go through a really hard time with someone, let's, you know, Let's say you're, you're with your friend and the elevator gets stuck between floors and it took four or five hours for them to figure out how to get you out. And it was kind of a thing, you know, you, you went through the claustrophobia and all of that, the, you know, I gotta go to the bathroom. I mean, just, there was some suffering. And when you come out of that thing, you come on the other side, uh, there's a sense in which that experience, that shared suffering, drew you closer together, right? You'll always have gone through that hardship together. Does that make sense? Well, the same thing's true in terms of knowing Christ. Whenever we enter into the fellowship of His suffering, when we suffer with Him, uh, it should draw us closer to Him. To have the privilege of God allowing you to know His suffering, what an honor. And Paul knew it. So he says, I'm not going to hide it. It's simple. It's difficult, but it's real. I'm open and naked before God and man on this point. Here's my heart. All I care about is knowing him better today than yesterday. By the way, it's better to be open and naked before God in this life than to be naked and want to hide at the resurrection. There are some people who will be resurrected. They're in heaven, and they're ashamed. Why? Because they, they spent their life knowing themselves. They spent their lives pursuing what they wanted, what would please them after the flesh, and they didn't actually consider Christ worthy of laying their life, their rights, their desires down in pursuit of a relationship with him. And they'll be in heaven, praise God for heaven, and yet a shame. So what's the summary focus of Paul's life? What's his message here in Philippians 3? He says one thing. One thing, it's all I want. One thing, all I need. Forget, forget about everything else. I want to know him. In verse 12, he says, Jesus caught me. Man, I want to pursue him right back, right? I want to catch him back. And that, brothers and sisters, is the mark of the mature Christian. Get this down in, their no in your notes. Mature Christians are passionate about knowing Christ. They're passionate about knowing God. See, the mature... They don't get wound up every time something comes down the pike. They don't, they don't jump on bandwagons. They don't get exercised over the latest theories, the, the latest fads. They don't chase every new fad. They don't get caught up in every new agenda, every new teaching. They don't, they don't get wound up by that. New conspiracy theory rolls down the pike. They don't waste their time figuring out how the latest Christian book is going to be the key to revolutionizing their life. They don't get wound up like that. 
They don't get exercised over things they can't even influence anyway. Their life is about one thing. Jesus is the only thing they care about and pursue. So look at verse 15. You know, people will run through their entire life looking for answers apart from knowing Christ, and then they wonder why they're never getting anywhere in life, why God isn't blessing their life. There are people that will say, you know, I don't feel like I'm a part of Midtown Baptist, so I'm thinking about leaving. And if God is leading you to be a part of another people, if God's moving you to go, well, then go and God bless you, okay? Man, praise the Lord. You want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but if you're feeling like you're looking for more, like if you go somewhere else, and that's going to be the key to your fulfillment in life, well, good luck with that because you're taking the problem with you. (laughs) Well, I'll just say it. You're the problem. (laughs) You take that with you, and your dysfunction is going to follow you wherever you go. You want to fix your life? I'll tell you, I'm telling you how to do it. Sincerely pursue one thing. Strive only. Give your life to knowing Jesus, and then through that, start running the race with us. Right? Get on the course with us. Start serving with us. You know, if you'll do that for six months, six months from now, you'll feel like you're a part of MBT because you will be. You'll be running the race with us. You want a right relationship with God? Then for six months, come to this church with an open Bible and a shut mouth. For six months, read the Bible and pray to God. Try it. Just do it for six months. Why would you do it? Well, because of the prize. The prize is the fruit of knowing Him. It's the fruit of knowing Christ. And that changes everything because it doesn't just make you part of the race. It doesn't just make you part of the mission, but it sets you up for God's plan for your forever. What God has planned for your eternity, Matthew 25, verse 21, it looks like this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. You were faithful in the one thing of knowing me, the power of my resurrection. You entered into the fellowship of my suffering. You laid down your rights, your life. You were made conformable to my death. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And it's 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. We find out that the faithful judge the world and they judge angels. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20, we saw this when we went through the book. We saw the key to reward at the judgment seat of Christ. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. See, the fruit, I'm mature know this, the fruit of knowing Christ is composed of two things, rulership and rejoicing. Rulership with Christ, rejoicing with him in his glory. See, every Christian's gonna make it to heaven. They're going to get across the finish line into heaven, but not every Christian goes to the winner's platform. And mature Christians keep the judgment seat of Christ in mind. So let's talk about this. Look at verse 15. Let's look at the mark, right, the marks, the attributes of the mature. And mature people have the right mind. Verse 15 says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Perfect doesn't mean sinless, absolute, flawless, you know, perfection. It means Mature. It means complete. It means grown up. So, 
here's the Apostle Paul. In verse 12, he said he was living like he hadn't apprehended. He wasn't there yet. He's not, he's not perfect yet, and yet he, that's what he's striving for. So it's true. We can always be more like Christ. We can always grow. We should never take where we're at in our walk with Christ for granted. A truly mature Christian is always looking to grow. They're always looking to know Christ more. We know, right, the mature Christian knows that we don't reach the state of absolute perfection until we meet Christ in the air. And our bodies, right, and we'll look at this before the end of the chapter, our vile bodies are going to be transformed to be like his glorious body. Again, did you know that you have a vile body? And that's what the scripture says, it's vile. You're like, I feel like I'm pretty hot. Eh, come back. Come back over the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll talk about the vile body. Mature Christians know that they need more of Jesus. But what happens is, is whenever a person thinks that they've arrived, that pride chokes off the blessings of God. I'm praying that MBT, that we'll be known as a humble people. You know, however God's blessed us, Whatever God's done through us, it was all Him. Any blessings we have, they were donated by God. We have done nothing of ourselves. We have not apprehended. We've not arrived. We need to keep growing. Now, he says uh, we should be thus-minded, right? As many as are mature, be thus-minded. What is thus-minded? Okay, so what is the context of everything that we've been seeing in Philippians chapter 3? Let me give you four P words to help you keep this straight. Thus minded, what minded? Well, minded like this, pitching the poop of this life and pressing for the prize of knowing him and being rewarded by God. You need to pitch the poop, press for the prize. Pitch the poop, press for the prize. And mature Christians know that. You say, why are you talking about poop? Well, you should have been here. We talked about poop. Paul called everything that he was, everything that he accomplished, everything that he had done, in light of knowing him, poop. Pitch it and press for the prize. Mature Christians will not allow themselves to be distracted by anything else. Anything else that steals the attention and focus of your life, if it can do it, it's just because you're immature. I mean, ouch. I mean, how many times have I caught myself in my immaturity? I'm distracted. It's like, uh, sorry, Seth. Seth is 16, makes him a teenager, which by definition makes him a little absent-minded. He knows, he knows every morning he's got the list of chores, he's got, he's got what he is supposed to do, but in the process, uh, with a good heart, he wants to engage and he wants to do what he's supposed to do, but then something will catch his eye, it'll distract him. And before you know it, he's not doing the list of chores that he knows he's supposed to do. The things that he knows he should do, that's not what he's doing. Instead, what he's doing is something that caught his attention. It's fun. It looks entertaining. Is anybody, anybody else spiritually a little bit ADHD, right? Um, it's, it's, it's not from a, an, like the intent of, of Seth's heart isn't, Man, forget the chores. 
today for me to live is rock and roll, man. Rocking hard all day. I'm going to party all night. Mom and dad can just kiss my hand in. No, that's not, that's nowhere in his heart or his mind. Uh, the problem is real simple. He's 16. And that mind's going a million miles an hour, and there's a thousand possibilities, and there's a, like, that's just, that's just where he's at in his development. Does this make sense? He's not stupid. He's not evil. He's not, he's just, he's immature. Ooh, you just, no, 16, by def, immature. He's not reached full maturation. The same thing's true spiritually. Does this make sense? It, maturation takes time, but it happens. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, whenever you see reality for what it is, what you're going to do is you're going to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and you will run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2 says, your goal is fixed. It's knowing him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. See, if you end up looking at anything else, you're not going to finish the race right. Now, you may get worried about getting distracted or getting off track and not even know it. I mean, you know… That's what distraction is. You got distracted. You didn't intend it, right? Seth didn't intend to forget the chores and just start playing a video game. Like, it just one thing led to another. Uh, well, if I'm worried about getting distracted, how am I going to fix this? He says, if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. If in anything, in any area, you get off track or you get the wrong mindset, I can't tell you how many times God has reminded me right? God just keeps pointing out my immaturity. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Miles, I see your immaturity. No, do you see it in your own life? How many times have we gotten distracted and God just lovingly, you know, like in, in the example of Seth, obviously Cheryl is a type or a picture of the Holy Spirit because he can't stay off track for very long before mom is saying something like, weren't you supposed to be? Oh yeah, that's right. And God does the same thing for us. How many times have I been immature? I've been, I've been off focus, and God lovingly reminds me. God just keeps pointing out our areas of immaturity. Immaturity is your next blank. Now, again, by the context of chapter 3, immaturity, immaturity is identified by whether or not your life's focus is right. If your life's focus isn't on knowing Him, well, then you're immature. End of story. You're just immature. If the focus of your life is on whether or not he or she is finally going to go out with you, if that's the focus of your life, well, that's that because you're immature. If the focus of your life is on how you're going to get that right job out of college, well, that's the focus of your life because you're immature. If the focus of your life is on whether or not you can afford all of the components for the perfect home theater system, well, it's because you're immature. You say, well, how do I grow up? How can I do that? How can I finally, once and for all, get out of the cycle of immaturity to a place of Christian growth? So here it is. Here's the command. Look at verse 16. Mature people follow after right things. 
Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. In other words, wherever you're at in your growth, whether you're a young Christian or a mature Christian, the answer is the same for all of us. Mature, immature, we need to move forward in our faith. We need to move forward in knowing Christ. Stop sitting where you're at and start walking with Jesus. Get in the pack. See, we know where we need to go. Let's start moving together in the same direction. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Christianity isn't a spectator sport, right? You can't say you're engaged as a Christian if all you do is sit in the pew. Get out of the pew, get out of the bleachers, and get on the field. Get in ministry with us. Get in the arena. What the mission is, we have it spelled out for us in black and white. So let's just live it. Jump in the race with us. Don't try to come up with your own agenda. Don't try to come up with your own plan, right? Let's, at the Bible suggestion, let's together get on the mission and the vision that God has for us, and let's run the race. Now, you may be someone that, you may be immature. You may be distractible spiritually. In other words, the focus of your life may not always be knowing him and living in the power of his resurrection, entering into the fellowship of his suffering. The focus of your life might not be being made conformable to his death. And what will happen is, instead of running the race with your brothers and sisters, oh, a squirrel, so you're over here, and it's pretty, and before you know it, you've even forgotten where where the race course, the actual race course is, and you're kind of on your own agenda running your own race, and, and there's a brother or a sister who loves you so much that they came and they tried to call you back. And because they didn't know how to frame the words in a way so that it didn't offend all of your sensibilities, in other words, it sounded something like, hey, dummy, the, the, the course is over here, come on, let's go. And they don't mean that to destroy you, they just want you with them. Is this making sense? And so what happens then is you get offended. How could, but you said you were going to run the race, but you're over here try, chasing a squirrel. I, what you're doing doesn't match what you said you were going to do. And you got people who love you who are saying, hey, come on, over here, this is the race course. And instead of finishing the race and pursuing after, you get all offended because, oh, that's, you don't want any accountability in your life. Well, I don't want those hypocrites in my business. Well, welcome to the club. You need some hypocrites in your business who love you and will hold you accountable. Otherwise, you're not going to finish the race. Look at verse 17. Here's a hard one. We need to follow the examples of maturity. Point number three, find a mature example to follow. And so Paul says, you need somebody to model this for you. What I'm striving for in my life, let me model it for you. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. So for a good example, here is the Apostle Paul. And he says, follow me, right? Those, and those like me, right? Those like my team. So this isn't, Paul's not making a, you know, hey, check me out kind of statement. He's not egotistical. This is practical. This is something we all need. He's not bragging. He's just telling us what is safe. Paul is saying, hey, I very clearly see the road that I need to travel. I know what the prize is. I know what our lives should be given to, so follow me in that pursuit. 
I know the road to follow, just start walking with me. So to the mature in the room, if you're mature, listen up. This is not cocky, it's real. If you're at the point where you know how to go after the prize, you know how to follow God, who are you, like Paul in verse 17, who are you calling to follow with you? Who are you teaching to apprehend? Who are you teaching to give their lives to knowing Jesus? And if the answer is no one, well then are you sure you're that mature and you're, are you sure you're on the right road, right? See, a lot of people in the church wants to be viewed as mature, but mature people lay their lives down investing in others. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and, uh, through 16, Paul is warning his children in the faith, and he says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, everybody wants to be viewed as somebody, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And so here it is. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. In another place, he says, follow me as I have followed Christ. To the young Christian, to the immature, you want to make sure that you're safe, that you're on the right road? Find a mature believer that's giving their life to knowing Christ, the power, living their life in the power of his resurrection. Find someone that's entering into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. They're laying their lives down as a disciple of Christ. Find that person, find that man, find that woman, note them, mark them, and then follow them, follow together, right? Follow God together with them. And we have a few of those in our church. And if you want to be mature, be a bird of a feather and flock with them, right? Find the mature and flock with them, and then you'll end up just like them. That's what your grandma told you. You'll end up being like the people you hang out with. That's what, did grandma tell you that? My grandma told me that. Did anybody else have a good grandma? You'll end up just like the people, watch who you hang out with because you're going to end up just like them. Well, find somebody that's mature, that's given their life to knowing Christ, and then hang with them. Walk with them. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in the wrong crowd. And there's a warning in verses 18 through 19. It's a warning against following those who focus on earthly pleasure, earthly fulfillment. And then we'll finish out the chapter in verses 20 and 21. We'll, we'll start that next week. Verses 20 and 21 uh, are the reminder on how to keep your focus, you know, just the blessings and the benefit of God for his people at the resurrection. But very quickly, let's finish by seeing this. We saw a good example in Paul. Let's look at the bad example, the warning against following those who focus on earthly pleasures. See, not everybody's traveling. Not everybody that attends MBT is on the same path with us. Not everyone in the church is after the same prize. And this is why Paul warns in verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Watch who you follow together with. There are some who call themselves Christian, but they're not following Christ. Instead, they're following what they want. They're following after knowing themselves, what they want for themselves out of this world. Their focus is on the merits of the flesh, and they're pursuing the pleasures and the plans of this world. So here's the key, and this is how we need to wrap up this morning. Who do you listen to? Because who you listen to, 
you run the very real risk of following. Who you listen to, you'll end up following. This is why some of you, brothers and sisters, you've got somebody in your ear and you need to quit listening to them. Some of you, you have a phone number you need to block, an email address you need to block. There are some people that they're not, they're not encouraging you and challenging you, challenging you. They're not holding you accountable to knowing Christ for that to be the aim of your life. They want to sow in you discontentment. They want to sow in you discord. They want to sow in you another path. Here's a grave example in 2 Timothy 3, verse 4, talks about those who are traitors to the cause of Christ. They're heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They, on some level, they would say they love God, but they love pleasure more. And they have, verse 5, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, here it is, watch this, from such turn away. If you've got somebody in your life that's calling you to pursue the pleasure and the fulfillment of the flesh, uh, you don't want to flock with them. Stop, stop flocking, stop flocking around with them. Just stop it. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and leave, lead captive silly women laden with lusts, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Stick with the mature. Stick with those who are on the path of truth, knowing Christ. Those who are, who are coming to the knowledge of the truth. Those who are living, knowing Christ. They're focused on knowing Christ. They're living in the power of His resurrection. They're entering into the fellowship of His suffering. They're not living their life. They're laying it down. They're being made conformable to His death. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves right now and pray.